Hi, friends. I am grateful you to you for coming to church today, and I want to welcome my friends who are joining us online. This morning, we continue a six-week series we're calling Overflowing Hope. Friends, I want to live every day of my life on this planet with overflowing hope. Now, I'm not pining for a pie-in-the-sky outlook that flippantly shrugs off the problems and pain of life. No, I want to walk the earth with a buoyant attitude that seriously engages reality while batting away discouragement and disappointment. Friends, that's why today I want to continue our conversation about hope. Hope is essential for the human heart. And we need it like we need oxygen. Show me a human without hope, and I'll show you someone who's dying inside. Hope has the power to change the world. If someone in poverty works her way out of poverty, it wasn't simply because she got fed up with being poor. She found hope that she didn't have to be poor. I find Dallas Willard's definition of hope particularly helpful. Dallas maintained that hope is the settled expectation of impending good. I love that definition. Dallas used to say, outside of love, hope may be the most powerful force in the universe. Hope inspires a single to begin dating again. Hope rouses a 40 or 50 something to to look for a new career. Hope empowers us to keep trying, to keep loving, to keep smiling, to keep getting out of bed in the morning. Hope arouses eager expectation and dogged determination. Now, all week long, I've been praying a prayer of the Apostle Paul over you. It's found in Romans 15, verse 13. I read it to you last week. Paul prays, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope By the power of the Holy Spirit. Note, in this prayer, Paul doesn't directly pray for hope. He prays for two things that lead to hope. This passage is like a recipe. It offers us ingredients and instructions. It says, if you take a bowl called you, mix in joy and peace, then stir it with a little trust, you'll get overflowing hope. Have you ever mixed baking soda with vinegar? What do you get? Right? That's the idea. In the first two weeks of this series, we're looking to procure those two ingredients, joy and peace. Last week we talked about joy. This week I want to talk to you about peace. Now, before we see how the Bible says we can lay our hands on a little piece, I want to pray a little prayer. Will you join your hearts with me? Lord, as we gather together today, we come bearing our burdens. We come with many things on our minds, with many responsibilities on our shoulders. But we ask you not to let any of those things keep us from hearing your voice. We pray this in the name of Jesus who came to bear our burdens. Amen. What are you afraid of? I have a particular fear 
that I would like to face with your help this morning. I developed this fear in college when I was traumatized during my sophomore year of school. See, it goes back 28 years. Suzanne and I went to the same college. We lived in different dormitories. And each morning I would wait for Suzanne outside her dorm. Now, I I, want to make clear to you why I waited. You see, I waited for Suzanne so that we could walk to the campus chapel and pray together. Now, I want you to picture two 20-year-olds not sleeping together, not sleeping in, but rising early in the morning to meet Jesus. Why, you may ask, do I draw attention to our ritual? Well, I do not highlight our chaste relationship to earn your respect and admiration as your pastor. I'm simply complaining. (laughs) Because I thought that getting up early for God would have a few perks. But friends, I did not see evidence of those perks on one cold autumn morning in particular. Now, I want to tell you what happened that day. But doing so will require me to face my fear. With your grace, I am going to make this a therapeutic moment for me. I believe it could be an opportunity for me to find healing and grow in my peace as a pastor and as a person. But to help me face my fear, I brought a little friend with me. But here's the deal. When I open this box, please don't freak out. It will not go well for me if you do. Okay? Can we? I'm serious, okay? Shh. Oh, mercy. Easy. (laughs) Friends, this is Sebastian. Say hi to Sebastian. Okay. Let me review the circumstances. I want you to picture two college students rising early to do good, to meet God. It's something I think a young couple should get credit for. Can we all agree on that? Nevertheless, one fall morning, as I wait for Suzanne outside her dorm, I receive a visit from one of these cuddly little creatures. Now, I'm a city boy. The closest I've ever come to a skunk is that smell on the highway. So in this moment, I panic. I try to intuit the behavioral patterns of a skunk. What's going to set this thing off? I conclude it will be one of two things. First, a sudden movement. Or second, a loud noise. Well, the skunk is now exploring the space between me and the door from which Suzanne will exit at any moment. Key point. The door from which Suzanne will exit at any moment is broken. And when I say it's broken, I mean it opens abruptly. And whenever the door opens, here's the sound it makes. Mm. 
Bang! <laughs> so at this point, I'm preparing for the worst. I recall reading that the spray of a skunk scent gland is accurate up to 10 feet. Their spray is not soluble in water. You got to use tomato juice or vinegar to remove the stench. Key point, I abhor tomato juice and vinegar. <laughs> Additionally, I recall reading that a skunk's spray is an irritant that can cause temporary blindness. Friends, I am picturing myself hobbling into a local grocery store with impaired vision, unable to discern if I should look for vinegar in the baking aisle or the cleaning aisle. Needless to say, I am terrified. And do you know what happens when Suzanne opens the door to her dormitory? Nothing. The, the skunk ambles along going about his smelly business. But you look to me and you say, Troy, why are you so terrified of skunks? Oh, my dear friend, my fear does not stem from a skunk's assault on my olfactory senses. No, no, no. My fear exists because that little skunk met me outside Suzanne's dorm room at dawn every single day, week after week after week, and I am not exaggerating. Each morning as he scampered out to meet me, I rehearsed my fear. Each morning as he pranced out to greet me, I meditated on worst case scenario. And honestly, I think he enjoyed himself. I think he took delight in the fear he evoked from me. Some days he even brought a friend. What I find most invalidating is Suzanne never acknowledged the seriousness of this situation. She still thinks it's hilarious. Now, say goodbye to Sebastian, okay? What are you afraid of? What worries you? Are you worried you'll never find love? Are you afraid of disappointing someone you love? Are you afraid of missing out or being left out? Are, are, are you worried you'll get the job of your dreams only to find out you can't do it? I, I want to make a simple and obvious observation. Worry robs us of hope. Worry robs us of hope. Now that's why we need peace. And we need a peace that's potent enough to combat the dread that drives our heart rate up during the day and quietly tortures us at night. You know, everything seems scarier in the dark, doesn't it? Have you noticed fear has a faithful way of showing up at bedtime? When you plop your head down on the pillow, fear comes out of the corner where it's been lurking. There's something about winding down at night. During the day, we distract ourselves with, with meetings and media and emails. But when the activities settle down, our anxieties act up. But friends, what if we could find a way to drag all the things we worry about into the light of God so we can find peace in his presence? Today, I want to offer a way to find that kind of peace. But I'll warn you in advance, my words may sound cliche at first until you put them into practice. Here they are. 
talk to God about everything and you won't worry about anything. Talk to God about everything and you won't worry about anything. Now, this is an expression I use all the time. Though, though I don't put its wisdom to practice all the time. If I did, I think it'd be a heck of a lot more hopeful. Now, to explain what I mean, I want to return to the book of Philippians. I love Paul's letter to the Philippian church. It's, it's my favorite book of the New Testament. And Philippians chapter 4 is my favorite chapter of my favorite book of the New Testament. Because I found practical wisdom for every day in every verse. Now, that's especially true of the passage we'll look at today. The verse begins with these words, verse 6. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Let me begin by telling you what Paul is not talking about. Paul is not talking about a healthy sense of caution that causes you to dot your eyes and cross your teeth. Mm -mm. Nor is Paul specifically referring to what today we would call clinical anxiety. Okay? That being said, if you struggle with clinical anxiety, don't tune Paul out. See if he offers anything that might help. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about the little things. Don't worry about the big things. Don't worry. And more accurately, Paul says, stop worrying. The the verb tense in his original Greek language implies that Paul's reader habitually worries. And friends, I want the truth, that, that truth to sink in so you can hear Paul's empathy. He's not shaming you for worrying. Maybe you're facing unemployment. Maybe you're trying to navigate a difficult relationship. You're reading into things that aren't there and it's hard to fix the tension that is there. But whatever you're facing, Paul's not shaming you for worrying. And he's not invalidating your fear. Again, the tense of the verb implies that he knows we're all in a habit of worrying. Paul gets it. Of course you're worrying. And of course, Paul's original reader was scared. Remember what I said last week. The church at Philippi faced two big questions, two big problems. First, they were beginning to be persecuted for their faith. And second, the faith community was beginning to crumble because of a conflict among the people. Oppression from the outside, unrest on the inside. Of course they were worrying. Maybe you're worrying. Maybe you went to the doctor for a scan and they saw something. They want to do more tests. Of course you're worried. But friends, here's the deal. If this passage doesn't offer anything to help us in times like that, then this passage isn't helpful at all. I, however, have found this verse and the one that follows to be perfectly suited for my most anxious moments. If I understand the verses correctly and if I practice them consistently. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. But but he says more than hakuna matata. He, He says more than don't worry, be happy. This is not a prescription for careless irresponsibility. No worries, people say as they drive their family into debt. No worries, people say, as they meander through life, never taking responsibility for their decisions or their direction. No, Paul doesn't want you to simply let life happen to you while you grin and bear it. He offers another suggestion. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He says, talk to God about everything and you won't worry about anything. Now, understand, Paul's insight actually transcends cliché. This is not advice to shove your anxious thoughts from your mind or sweep them out of sight. He wants us to stop worrying and start praying. Do do you pray about your problems? Now, that may be an obvious question, but the answer isn't always so obvious. You see, sometimes I think about praying more than I actually pray. Or or often, my prayers are just half-hearted prayers of desperation, prayed from sheer terror as I race around trying to piece everything back together myself. Often, instead of praying, we combat anxiety with information and conversation. Now, both can be good things, even great things, unless we're trusting them to do what they can't do on their own. Think about it. We fight our fear with information. Whether we're stressed about problems or politics, we find ourselves glued to the television, scouring the internet, plowing through podcasts as an attempt to control that which we can't control. That's understandable. And unquestionably, we need information each day so, so we can respond wisely, right? But are any of us taking this too far, putting our hope in something that doesn't make us hopeful? We fight our fear with information, but in some situations we turn to conversation. Some of us have a habit of turning to talk to fight our fear. If we're worried about what someone thinks, we use our words to shape their thinking. We can drown them with our words as we talk their opinions into submission. Or if we're afraid of an outcome, we phone a friend for consolation. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, God might use that friend to speak grace and peace to to your situation and circumstances. But 90% of the time, we're talking to someone who can do nothing about the thing that's keeping us awake at night. The conversation only temporarily takes away our trepidation. Yeah, we, we combat worry with information and conversation. But there's a surprisingly popular weapon against anxiety. You know what it is? Good old-fashioned denial. We shove our worries under the rug, choosing to never consider what might happen or did happen or should happen. You don't have to know if you don't want to know. So why ask questions? Now, when you're worried, what are your habits? Have you trained yourself to respond? How have you trained yourself to respond? We, we, we get good at the things we practice, so what are you practicing? Paul wants us to develop a new habit. He says this, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In this verse, Paul uses three words for prayer. The New International Translation on the screen uh, translates these words, prayer, petition, and requests. Now, they're virtually synonyms in Greek, but they contain subtle nuances that should inform the content of our prayers in moments of panic. When when anxiety arrives, Paul says we should respond with prayer, and that's the Greek word prosuke. 
Now, when, when the apostle uses this word prosuke in other letters, it usually refers to intercession, meaning prayer for others. Now, that's interesting. Paul says, when fear fills your soul, pray for someone else. Put it into practice and see what happens. Talk to God about everything, and you won't worry about anything. See, if you're anxious about something, the chances are high it involves people. Uh, If it does, where it does, pray. Pray for every person in every position. I recently faced a problem that involved a lot of different people. I I worried things would go wrong. I I worried I'd get it wrong. But I sat down with my prayer journal and I started writing out prayers for everyone involved. Every individual directly involved, every individual indirectly involved. I prayed for everything I could think to pray for everyone. And as far as I could tell, God did everything I asked. And it's continued to work since. So I think I'm going to do that again next time. What do you think? When you're worrying about something, pray for the board members who are meeting. Pray for the family members who are hurting. Pray for the doctors and nurses who are serving. And don't simply pray that they do their jobs well. Pray for their health and their relationship and their souls. Pray for every person in every position. Now that gets hard when the other person is the cause of your anxiety. How do you pray for that person? What do you pray for that person? Of course, you'd never wish a debilitating disease on them. But can you pray that they'd get t- gain 10 pounds over the holiday? Is that okay? Well, if that's your thinking, I'll remind you of the words of Jesus in Luke 6. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Jesus says, pray for their blessing. It will work wonders on your soul. And it may help you fight your fear. Let's keep going. Back to Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That word petition is the Greek word deisis. Uh, deosis refers to urgent prayers. We're, we're talking about panicked pleas prayed in crisis. Or we're talking about visceral prayers that seem to burst from your broken heart with unfiltered passion. Paul's saying, you don't have to get on your knees to pray. Paul's saying, you don't have to pray the Lord's Prayer five times before God will listen. He's saying, you don't have to pray for world peace and all the missionaries before you ask God to do something for you personally. He's saying it's perfectly okay for you to simply blurt out a frantic prayer and panic. If you could ask God for one miracle in your life right now, what would it be? Maybe it's that he'd put your marriage back together. Maybe it's that he'd heal your body. Maybe it's that he'd meet a financial need or or lead a loved one to trust Jesus. In 1 Peter 5, 7, the apostle Peter encourages you to cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Now here's what Peter and Paul are saying. If it matters to you, it matters to God. So cast your cares on him. I love that verb cast. It means to throw. It means to propel. 
He's saying, talk to God about everything and you won't worry about anything. Now that doesn't mean he'll always give you what you want or alleviate your anxiety the way you want. Remember the words of the late Tim Keller that that I share with you again and again. Keller said, God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knew. Now, why do I keep reminding you of that principle? Because we keep forgetting. (laughs) And it shows in the way we respond to God when we don't get what we pray for. Now, I would argue, God knows your needs better than you do. And I would argue, God loves you more than anyone loves you, including you. So cast your cares on him. You're not being selfish when you do. You're just acting like you're the son or daughter of the king, which you are. Hear me. If it matters to you, it matters to God. Back to Philippians 4. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. The final word for prayer here is requests. Itema in Greek. Itema highlights specific requests for specific needs. So I got to ask you, have you taken each of your worries in this season and given them to God one by one by one? I'm talking about those thoughts that torment you, those fears that nag you. Maybe we should learn to do this as a discipline. Maybe each day we should take stock of all our worries, everything that's keeping us awake at night. Then consciously cast those concerns on God, praying particular prayers about particular problems. Not just big blanket prayers. Oh God, solve all of my problems. Amen. (laughs) Paul here is pointing us to talk about specifically bringing everything that comes to mind to God with thoughtful intentionality. Talk to God about everything and you won't worry about anything. We're talking every thought, every feeling, every hypothetical scenario. I mean, you're already thinking about it anyway. If you're going to worry about it, you might as well pray about it. Now, as I say that, I see three reasons that, that we're reluctant to pray those prayers one by one. First, We don't have the faith to believe that will make any difference. If we're honest with ourselves, many of us, many of us live our lives with a general sense that what will be, will be. And prayer makes no difference. Paul says, don't you believe it? Bring every concern one by one to God. The second reason we drag our feet... (laughs) We don't think it's worth our time and effort in comparison to something else we might do. You see, I think my energy will be better spent doing something about my problem rather than praying about my problem. And look, maybe our circumstances require us to spend more time working on the problem than praying about the problem. But we're not talking about length of time. Many of us don't spend any time bringing our needs one by one to God. The truth is, My faith is sometimes so weak that I convince myself I'm better 
served by sitting around and stewing about my problem than bringing it to him need by need. Lord, help my unbelief. A third reason for our reluctance to pray particular prayers, and I think this one applies to a lot of us. Honestly, mulling over the details of my problem is painful. And I just don't want to think about it. I want to stuff it and shove it under the rug. But but friends, if that's you, here's a little reality for you. If you shove something under the rug, you'll just keep tripping over it. We think shoving something under the rug makes it out of sight, out of mind. But it's simply not true. It's out of sight, out of mind for the moment. But it always creeps, it finds its way to creep its way back into our subconscious when our brain shifts to neutral. It's always in the room with you. When you shove something under the rug, it doesn't take away its stench. So talk to God about everything and you won't worry about anything. My friends, I'm telling you, something beautiful happens when we do the temporarily painful work of articulating each and every need to God. More on that in a moment. Look again at Philippians 4, where we find a fourth word for prayer. That you may not think of it as prayer. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, my prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, as we offer our prayers, petitions, and requests, we're to do so with thanksgiving. This phrase is about our attitude. It's about how we talk to God about everything. Be honest with yourself. Do you approach God with an attitude of entitlement? I was recently making dinner for my family, and the meat I was smoking took forever. That was worth it, because it was smoked meat, people. When I pull it from the grill, one of my daughters says with sarcasm, it's about time, Dad. And she was totally kidding. Okay, she's always looking for a laugh. But many of us walk the earth with an attitude of entitlement. So when God answers our prayers deep in our souls, we say, it's about time, God. I remember one night, one of my girls had a migraine. And it was really bad. At one point, I went to check on her and see if I could get anything for her. And she asked me if I could refill her water cup, which I gladly did. When I came back into the room, she thanked me with a soft, pained voice. But I got to tell you, her thankful attitude appeared long before I met her needs. And she said the words, thank you. I could hear her thank you in her request. Are your prayers thankful? You know, they can be desperate and still be thankful. Back to the verse. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. The apostle tells us to talk to God about everything and we won't worry about anything. 
But it's not because God will automatically solve all of your problems. Here's what happens when we go to him. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, friends, when we pray, God doesn't always solve the problem right away. But he offers us his peace. Paul's word for peace finds its meaning in the Hebrew word shalom, which means wholeness, security, well-being. And Paul calls it a peace that transcends all understanding. It's a peace that doesn't make sense. It's unfigureoutable. Now, it's beyond understanding because just like joy, it's not contingent on circumstances. It's a peace that's bigger than your broken heart. It's a peace that's bigger than cancer. Paul says this peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guard is the same word in Greek used to describe a Roman soldier protecting a precious treasure. You see, friends, this shalom of God, when it's on duty, will guard your soul from the poisonous thoughts and feelings that seep into the cracks of your life, bringing anxiety and angst. Now, for a lot of us, worries become an instinct. We worry like our lives depend upon it. But most of us, for, for most of us, it's our way of controlling things. But the fact of the matter is, our worry is controlling us. Maybe you need peace as the pressure keeps building. Maybe you need peace as your bills keep coming. Maybe you need peace to keep your cool when your spouse loses his. Now I want you to imagine for a moment living with a pervasive sense of well-being and security every single day of your life. Imagine being free of the need to constantly second-guess yourself and everybody else. Imagine being free to wisely relax, even if everybody's out to get you, because you know someone else has got you. Talk to God about everything, and you won't worry about anything. But, but, but after all my pleading, <laughs> I know there's one thing that'll likely, that, that's likely to keep you from praying like we talked about. You just don't feel like it. And if that's you, may I just say, grace to you, confession, I rarely feel like praying when I start praying. What is it our friend Jeff Lucas says? Each morning he prayerfully flings his body out of bed into a backhand spring, catching in midair the tambourine his wife Kay throws him before his knees hit the ground in worshipful adoration of God. <laughs> Look, I'm not Jeff Lucas. And I think Kay would whisper, Jeff's not Jeff Lucas either. Honestly, I rarely feel like praying when I start praying. But how many times have I told you? We're going to have to do things we don't feel like doing if we want to feel differently. So I'm telling you, even if you don't feel like it, talk to God about everything. And you won't worry about anything. What are you worried about this weekend? Maybe you're afraid you won't make your fourth quarter numbers. Maybe you have a difficult conversation in your near future and you wonder if you'll be able to say 
everything that needs to be said and say it in a way they can hear it. Maybe you're worried about what they'll say in response. What if he snaps? What if she bites back and blames it all on you? My friends, somehow we have got to find a way to take this promise of peace and move it from Christian cliche to Christian experience because I'm getting tired of panic. You? I'm growing weary of the feeling of fright when my stomach sinks to my shoes. You know that feeling? Or, Or maybe for you, it's a numbing sense of dread that's settled in your soul and there's no sign of it moving out anytime soon. Maybe you're waiting. Waiting on a job offer. Waiting on the date of your surgery. Waiting for an email. (laughs) A single email. You're, You're waiting but you have no control over the timetable or the outcome. My friend, in just a moment, we're going to bring that email to God. Or maybe you have a decision to make. You have full control over the timetable and the outcome. And that doesn't make you feel any better. You're scared. You need wisdom. In just a moment, we are going to bring that decision to God. Maybe you've already made the decision and it was the wrong decision. And today you're staring failure in the face and you're worrying about the consequences. 